0: Hello, all, and welcome to this this episode of Talking Taboo podcast. I'm your host, Divyan Sharma, and in this episode, we talk about the taboos concerning the interaction of feminism and masculinity. We have with us today Mr. Harish Sadani, the co founder of the organization Men Against Violence and Abuse. He has been engaging and mentoring thousands of adolescent boys and young men across India to communicate with peers on healthy relationships. Masculinity and sexuality-related matters. Today, we talk to him about his work and learn the role of men in the feminist movement. Harish sir, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's a good opportunity for Deviant, uh, you know, to invite me and share my work. It's thank definitely you. it's definitely
0: our pleasure, sir. Uh, so, sir, before we start this session, to just sort of uh, put this episode in its context, we are talking yeah. about the issue of. Why should a man be a feminist, and and the concerning the the surrounding taboos? So, what, in your understanding, is is sort of the definition of these terms? So, in a sense, what does feminism mean, for instance, and and why is it so that it seems to not sit well uh, together with the notions of masculinity and patriarchy?
1: Yeah, so feminism, uh, you know, is seen as a misnomer by many the full meaning of feminism if one understands it is a, a wider concept which looks at the paradigm of, of gender and development uh, largely from a woman's perspective which has not been seen over the years but at the same time even though it is looking at from a Uh, woman's perspective, it is not anti-male. So the feminism, which one should understand, is that, you know, it's a very broader concept and, you know, which sees as in the struggle for gender equality that uh, the the enemy is the male-dominated mindset. The enemy is not men. So if, if we are very crystal clear that who is our enemy, for example, in the fight for the uh, annihilation of caste, the enemy is not the casteist person, but the attitude which is behind it, which is uh, in a way also called brahminical attitude or brahminism. So similarly, in the struggle for gender equality, men are not the enemies, but it's the mindset. And if the mindset is so, which is uh, you know subject to social engineering and you know socialization and upbringing, so you know all men are not the same. Masculinity is not a unitary, homogeneous concept. It it there are different kinds of masculinity. So the real feminism, so you asked the question whether men can be a pro-feminist. So men can. And in the past, in our in our own country, you know, there have been several men like Dr. Ambedkar, Mahatma Jyoti Phule, and so on. There have been several men who have given almost a lifetime for the liberation of women. So all these men have been in a way pro-feminist men. And similarly in other parts of the world also there have been men who are sensitive, caring, and they are standing up for the rights of women to dignity and safety. So I am sure, you know, so it looks, you know, whichever way you see it, so just as all men are not the same, and men by birth are not aggressive and violent, so it they can be given the opportunity and the effort taken by men to relook, at their upbringing, their socialization, then they have a, they can deconstruct what I say as they can deconstruct masculinity and in the process, you know, interrogating that they can come up with, you know, they can evolve with gender equitable model of masculinity.
0: Right. So actually, it's very important that you point out that these are not inherently uh, conflicting movements. Right. So yeah, uh, yeah. sir, on this point, actually, uh, you were talking about that there are various types of masculinities. So if you could yeah. touch a bit on that, and why do you think that, that men today take, is, take it as an attack when, when you know, someone around them uh, openly says that I'm a feminist? So it's an open attack to their masculinity. So, so how do you think have these, these movements sort of evolved and, and how do these concepts interact?
1: Yeah. So, you know, uh, masculinity, which uh, you see as a a dominant form, what is called as the hegemonic masculinity, as termed by, you know, this sociologist from Australia called Raven Connell. Hegemonic is the one which we see prominent, which is the dominant model under which the male entitlement to privilege, and power which will be there in all kinds of masculinity this entitlement to privilege and power so the association of hegemonic or dominant masculinity is related to performance of the man how he takes care of the family he becomes the provider protector you know and at the same time always an achiever and winner so those are the markers that, you know, he has two masculinities associated with performance, the dominant model especially. Uh, so the one who performs well in terms of being the main bread owner or taking care, so he is seen as a real man by a by majority. And in a way, he represents the hegemonic masculinity. So one is performance. The second indicator would be risk-taking. You know, when men are supposed to take risks, challenges, you know, if they have to always be an achiever. So, you know, you see umpteen examples of that around where there is something called bikers gang. Like in Mumbai, for example, South Mumbai, uh, every midnight around 11, 30, 12, you know, you find that uh, teenagers who are in their 20s, they are, you know, they are riding on their bikes at such high speed just to show their masculinity. You know, like to show that they are risk-takers. So that is a yardstick which is seen that he is a real man who takes risk. So that is another marker. And the third marker is related to violence, where, you know, if the first marker, which is related to performance, if men are not able to perform or adhere to the roles of a provider, protector, winner, then he will resort to violence. So the bottling up of emotions, for example... Men are supposed to be not uh, expressing their emotions, whether it's crying or whether any other thoughts which they have, you know, whether expressing their anxiety, vulnerability. You will never find that, you know, in India, you know, as a child is growing up, he's of puberty. The moment he's expressing, he's told, you know, that don't talk or think like a girl because that is seen as a sign of weakness. So if they keep on suppressing their emotions, then the bottling up of emotions in what form it will take, maybe in the form of addictions in future or, you know, those addictions further leading to violence of different kind. So the violence can be on the opposite gender uh, where the man cannot take a no of a woman or it can be self-harm. So there was this example, you know, of jilted love. You know, series of cases where a man is proposing a girl, and, and you know, when she is not interested and expresses that clearly that she is not interested, but the man cannot take the no of a woman. So you find that umpteen cases. So there was this case in Ulhasnagar near Mumbai many years ago, where uh, you know, a young girl in school. She was, you know, asked by her senior classmate that, you know, I like you. And when she rejected, so in in the classroom where the exams were going on, he put her on fire by putting the kerosene on her. And after doing that, the next day, he himself went to the railway tracks and committed suicide. So it just tells that the, when he did the act of uh, pouring kerosene on her, that time his ego was at its highest thing that he couldn't take the no of the girl. But later on he realized that everybody in the classroom has seen him doing that act. So as a result he must have felt ashamed in his own eyes, and then he resorted to you know self harm. So. You find that this pattern like where in Indian society, the dominant model which is there, where men are supposed to be one step ahead, what they see in the Urush Pradhanta. So he should be Pradhan, he should be always with power and not just power to control things in his life, but also in the lives of women. So that has been the notion, the male entitlement to privilege and power. That is the dominant model which exists, you know, in our country in a big year, in a big way, and for several years. Hmm.
0: Right, right. Actually, it's it's very pertinent that you point this out uh, in in these neat pointers that uh, there are certain expectations that a man is supposed to meet in the society, and 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 these actually points out to the fact that men have to become men by. Uh, sort of expressing themselves actively as opposed to women who, who are just born women right so so yeah right true. so uh, and and definitely on the point of bottling up on of emotions there that there, there are statistics before us that suicide rates are also higher in men than women and it's definitely not the case that men don't have any emotions in the way they are genetically wired because all of us are human beings so so uh, I'm sure that, there, that something has to be done about the way we bring up men. True,
1: uh, and actually, as you just pointed out, that you know the suicide rate in India among men is definitely higher. You know, if you compare vis-a-vis the, the women's suicides happening here, and often in our country there are uh, groups which are call themselves as men's rights groups. They, in fact, uh, they, they talk about, you know, National Crime Records Bureau statistics related to suicides of women. And they try to attribute that, look, a large number of men are committing suicide because of the attitudes of women so uh, in a way even though the statistics are correct that the numbers are definitely chilling and hor- or horrifying you know compared to women but uh, the reasons attributed to women is wrong and the factual thing is that men are unable to accept rejection failures you in know, life you know uh, what is happening to them the joblessness which is there that is resulting you know into in uh, frustration so I think it's that which is at the core, that men unable to deal with the emotions, I think, uh, which results in the kind of uh, suicides or whether, you know, self-harm or whether the harm to the other gender. Yeah.
0: So so actually, you say that these movements are reactionary to feminism and they somewhere lose their meaning or, or miss miss the, miss the forest for the trees in the sense that they don't understand the bigger picture there.
1: Yeah, true. Because these organizations, they are, one is they they tell that, you know, often, you know, you find there's a group like All India Men's Health Association or, you know, Purush Saurakshan so, Samhiti is one such organization or Save Family International. You know, so these many of these groups are mushrooming across the country and they have been claiming that a large number of women are misusing law uh, to harass innocent men. And any law in India is liable to be misused. So it doesn't mean that we should scrap the law just because it is misused by few you know, there are enough number of women who are not aware about the legislation itself in the first place, yeah. you know, when I'm talking at the macro level. So there may be a few 1% or 1.5% and and those men's rights groups who are claiming this, they are unable to substantiate either through a study or uh, some statistics to show that look, there is a sizable number of women who are misusing. So they are unable to, they are just whipping on the emotions and trying to sensationalize. Whereas in reality, a large number of women tries to, in our country, to keep the family going. It's very few who would resort to police or take the help of legal. And even if they do, they... The, the usage of Section 498A or, you know, the Domestic Violence Act is itself limited compared to, you know, the population which you have. So one is they claim on all this. And the second is they are trying for, they are raising a uproar on that all the laws in the country related to gender should be gender neutral. Which, which I, as an activist working for 27 plus years in this space, I would say that India is not yet ready for that because in terms of opportunities of growth and livelihoods and, you know, mobility, reproduction, sexuality, property, they, they are not on the equal footing, men and women. So the, you know, the, when they become on equal footing, Then one can talk about equitable rights. So whether in all these things, you know, Indian culture and society is still male-dominated and patriarchy is reinforced by all the subsystems of our society. So these groups have been claiming as 19th of November as Men's Rights Day or Men's Day. So uh, there is no substance for the basis for which they are celebrating because it's not a day where, you know, they are trying to introspect and discuss, you know, uh, the real issues related to toxic masculinity, for example. They are not there to examine, but rather use it the day to bash women. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's it, that that's very concerning, actually. And we see similar instances across the world. In fact, when recently the entire furore on, on blacks' rights movement happened in America, there was yeah. this reactionary group coming up and saying that all lives matter. And, Correct. Correct. and that was purely reactionary, right? Because, I mean, no one was saying that all lives, all lives do not matter. And, and, and having this kind of a tag and just in response to a particular community that has been ostracized or suppressed is really washing away the historical patterns of struggles that they, that they have gone through. So, and this this also brings me uh, yes. towards your motivation, sir. So, it's not very commonplace for these very reasons that we talk about uh, to find a man talking on gender equality and sexual violence. So, uh, what is it that, that got you interested in this field?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I... Uh, have been right from my childhood. Like There have been several motivational factors. So one was, you know, during my childhood, I was uh, raised by my three paternal aunts who showed me the world, they themselves being semi-literate. But the dialogue on gender-related things was alive, thanks to them, because I used to do household chores at home with them, and I was labeled as a sissy or girlish as a young child. So I remember that I never took those taunts personally, but rather I used to think that why if they are calling me like a girl, say the word girlish. So like a girl, that means other girls are secondary, secondary citizens of our country the comparison of mine done with them in a way to humiliate so i used to think rather you know rather than seeing those pawns personally i used to think that if if they call me like a girl i never see it as a negative thing because i know that the work which is done is work and there is dignity of work and it's a work done you know which need to be taken care of so that was one thing and the second was as i was a student in college studying i was a fan of this actress late uh, sinta patil who really tried to break the female stereotypes through her portrayal you know of performances which were questioning the the gender roles assigned to the female gender so i found that she was a dusky complexioned woman Uh, trying to break the notions of an actress who should be always looking beautiful, fair and beauty. So she tried to defy that and more importantly, try, you know, to question the traditional roles of a woman and evolve different other models of women. So I found I was quite touched and, you know, I once I uh, saw her birth date and the address in a film magazine and thereafter I wrote uh, wishing her on her birthday but it actually turned out to be an uh, occasion where which later on a sort of pen friendship developed between two of us Where I used to write uh, after watching several of her films, whatever thoughts came to me, whatever questions that bothered me, I used to write it down and she took the effort in responding to that. So that actually my sensibilities gradually were growing thanks to this actress. And the third interesting was after taking a cue from one of her films, where she has shown that she has done her master's in social work. So I realized that I have the potential and the aptitude for social work as a career. And then I did my master's in social work, you know, uh, from the Tata Institute of Social Sciences. So while doing that, I was constantly uh, looking at the questions of gender and the norms. And I realized that, you know, men are seen as part of the problem unless they are also seen as part of the solution. Their attitudes are definitely part of the thing which everyone, all practitioners, all stakeholders would admit. So if that is so, then men should be also part of the solution. But for the last 30, 40 years, everybody who is working in this space have concentrated on empowering women and girls. And they think that is the only solution. Whereas the keeping men aloof from the process of transformation has actually widened the gender divide. And so as a result, men you find today are fumbling. They don't know how to respond when their girlfriends or spouses are expecting of them to be gender sensitive. Because I would say that the modern day man, his one food is definitely in the 21st century, but his other food is in the 18th or 19th century. <laughs> he has been raised as a traditional man, typical to be assertive and dominant and, you know, controlling the lives of women it was interesting that a small ad you know in 1991 when as I was growing up with all these rich uh, attitudes towards gender questioning of gender norms and stereotypes It it was then when I was thinking that the work with men should really be focusedly done that I came across this advertisement or an appeal, you would say, by a well-known journalist called C.Y. Gopinath in a leading newspaper called Indian Express. So the appeal was that wanted men who believe that wives are not for battering and if you are a man wanting to stop please write to box number, so-and-so. So, So, you know, that appeal generated a response of 205 men uh, replying to that appeal, including me. So, it's from this 205 men that some 30 men started meeting in the next year continuously. And then on March 11th, 1993, We got ourselves together, seven of us, and we registered an organization by the name Men Against Violence and Abuse, and history was created. You know, so it's from there, we have been moving steadily and with strength to strength in the last 27 years.
0: Right, so so it's actually been a long journey, sir. So if you could uh, touch upon uh, what is the work of Men Against Violence and Abuse, and what sort of activities, what sort of uh, involvements with boys or, or, or men have you been involving them with uh, to sort of evaluate the kind of masculine notions that exist?
1: Yeah. So, you know, our objective of this organization has been to stop and prevent gender-based violence against women, which which is a broad spectrum. When you say gender-based violence, it includes uh, not just uh, rape and molestation, which are the most talked about thing whenever somebody says about violence on women but it could mean that verbal abuse or you know the sexism and misogyny that exists rampantly across the country you know over the years and along with that domestic violence then sexual harassment at workplace it's a big spectrum of violence uh, when we say so what we do is our work is with the young men and adolescent boys in schools, colleges, universities, and in the community at large, where, you know, we try to engage uh, these young men in conversations on gender, sexuality, masculinity. Because the idea is that if these are learned behavior, gender is a learned thing. So, you know, if they can re-question about their upbringing as a growing up man, So you have, so what we do is, you know, we conduct workshops and sessions with these boys closely. And, you know, in those workshops, they are like participants where they talk their minds on issues related to gender, which are part and parcel of their life. So what it means to be a man. So the ideas on this, they are sharing with each other in a space which is non-threatening, which is safer, where they can open up. So I find that when you give them the uh, the spaces to talk, their innermost concerns and thoughts and ideas, they themselves evolve with alternate ideas about masculinity through their own learned behavior. So they realize that what kind of privileges they enjoy as a man and as a growing up boy, and also what are the restrictions on women. They also realize that the rigid gender roles which are imposed upon them as men are also harming them in the long run. So the whole attempt is to question, deconstruct the masculinity which is nowadays called as toxic masculinity. So they go into the roots of that. And in that process they will come up with alternate model of masculinity that is gender equitable. So whether it's workshops, residential camps, or you know, street theater, which is a medium so powerful Where, you know, on the streets, without using any props, they can perform and enthrall a 100 plus crowd at a time. So, you know, my youngsters, whom I call them as mentees and communicators, they are encouraged to put their thoughts in the form of a play which is scripted by them collectively. So every year they come up with a new theme on gender and they put up a performance. And then they they arrange the performances of more than 50, 60 shows of that street play every year. So this is one of the youth-friendly media. And off late, I've been using the medium of, say, for example, film festival uh everybody, right from younger age to elderly, they are all influenced and you know motivated by films. They are such a powerful medium. So I have been using this medium in a very unique way. So I, I not just show films in workshops and short films, but also I organize what is called a traveling film festival, wherein uh, they, we showcase different films on gender and sexuality national, international films with subtitles. And after seeing those films, there is conversations which are stirred by experts from the field, by gender rights activists, by academicians, by, you know, filmmakers who come. So it's usually a two-day festival from 10 a.m. till 6 o'clock. And that festival then travels to different cities of India so i must tell you in the last we have had three editions of this two day festival which is called samabhav which means looking with the same bhav to all the genders so more than 8000 young men across country from 28 plus cities and 12 plus uh, districts across india have been reached out you know through this uh, engaging film festival so you find that films of all kinds, whether it's gender-based discrimination or violence against women, or uh, issues about al- uh, different uh, alternate sexualities, you may call it LGBTQIA related topics, or it is on toxic masculinity. So a vast spectrum of gender-related matters, you know, is covered through these films. And I find this is a very powerful tool. Now, in fact, we are exploring currently the usage of social media as a tool. How to use, you know, WhatsApp, Facebook and other forms of social media to generate that discussion, conversations related to gender matters.
0: Right. That's actually very appreciative, sir, because, uh, you know, you have actually gone to the root of the problem that if these young men, while growing up, can be made more sensitive towards gender issues it can not only save women around them but can also save them from all the toxicity that masculinity itself brings and save them from so many mental health struggles as well in the future so that's quite
1: thoughtful yeah so in fact you know the whole process is of humanization of men while empowering women and while standing up for the rights of the woman to dignity and safety. Along with that, you are co-creating a world which is without violence, which is a healthier world, not just for the women, but for men, for transgenders, and for all other citizens. Right. You know? hmm. So I think men's lives are also at stake. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I think we need to understand engage you know with the young men we try to connect this and therefore then the motivation here yeah, because the, you know for them it's not just uh, to be for the sake but they realize that it is so part and parcel of their lives you know that how gender is uh, you know daily governing you know uh the way they talk the subject matter what they talk and is so much part and parcel influencing them so it's so you know, like some of my old mentors are telling that poor hai, you know, so as a result, many of these youngsters, those who are now mentors, they are unable to sleep peacefully at you know in the night because they have been viewing it from a gender lens, things of day to day matter, and that's how their lives are also getting enriching and humanized and healthier not just the women's lives that are getting safer mm-hmm. and healthier right. but it's also the men's rights
0: uh, absolutely it's it, uh it's a collective development and 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 actually it's, it's important that we clear the air around this that patriarchy does impact men and toxic masculinity does not always systematically work in their favor and therefore something that is worth actively advocating against so sir you said that Uh, And and in fact, the work of Mawa itself, uh, you are trying to change these notions of masculinity and you're trying to get them to question themselves on what they think about the gender issues. So uh, before we end this session, what should young men and boys who are listening to this episode, what should they do at their own level uh, to, to bring the change in the way they view gender?
1: Yeah. So, you know, there are so many small steps, which are incremental steps, I would say, you know, uh, you know, which every man can do, you know, one is uh, try to listen to women. Often, you know, the Me Too movement came in India and also in the world because for a long time men were not listening to women. The redressal mechanisms which are there, they were not functional because of the attitudes of men who never, you know, gave a thought that why women are complaining, what are their... Are. What are their grievances? So I think one is listening to the woman in their lives, what they are telling. And also empathy and respect, which will go gradually. You know, asking the viewpoint of a woman what she thinks. I think the EQ, the emotional quotient of men is not made to develop as he grows up of age. So I think the more men are ventilating their thoughts their emotions freely. I think that is one step which anyone... And when I say emotions, it also includes crying or whenever they feel like or expressing their fear, their vulnerability, their anxiety. So I think that is one... You know, once men start talking about themselves and what they are going through, that they are also under pressures to perform. And when they start this conversation with other men then the male female equation also would change so i think one is that uh, be a participant of that second is don't be a bystander or a mute spectator when incidents any instance of discrimination is happening around you third is when there are you know sexist jokes or remarks which are offensive that are being spoken on any woman in front of you or when you witness that take a stand Take a active stand that you are you can you will not tolerate any kind of such verbal abuse or any kind of insinuations on a woman because once you take a stand then you are clearly telling that you respect the woman. So because it's walking the talk. And you know, a simple thing I would say that if any college going student or a youngster who gets on his WhatsApp an offensive message, a derogatory message uh, related to women, then Can he tell the sender of the message that, look, I find this offensive and next time you do it, I will unfriend you. So this is something which can be easily is doable. So it it calls for actually taking up stand. So if people do not talk about it, you know, what you see around what is called as the normalization of violence in our day-to-day lives, the misogyny, the rampant sexism which is there. So taking a call, talking about it, I think that these are three, four steps which every man can do, you know, you don't have to be an organization or a social organization or any any other body to do it. You as an individual can do. So I think uh, healthy conversations for a healthy society is a message I would like to give, you know, which every man can follow up uh
0: definitely i hope sincerely that this discussion that we had today can train some young men and boys to be a little more sensitive about gender and as you said these small small taking these small small steps can actually go a long way in watering down your notions of of what masculinity means in your head so thank you so much harish sir i'm sure our audience got to learn a lot from your experiences and i'm quite positive that this will go a long way in spreading the message of importance of sensitization of men towards gender issues. So thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, and I would in fact appeal, you know, to all the listeners that if in any way they would like to contribute uh, towards the cause of male engagement on gender, they are free to contact me or any of my team members by approaching our website, which is www.mavaindia.org or they can even call me on my number uh, which you know i'm keeping it because uh, this is an inseparable part of my life so anyone wants to talk to me personally they can call on this number by leaving a message and my number is 9870307748
0: right uh, i i hope sir i hope that more and more people connect to mava and that it it grows up uh, and, and can reach out to more and more people and can spread the message of gender justice. And peace. thank you for joining us
1: today, sir. Thank you, Divyansh, for this opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Talking Taboo podcast. If you like our idea and want to support it, do follow us on Instagram at WeTalkTaboo and visit our Facebook page at Talking TalkingTaboo. A simple share and support will go a long way in mainstreaming these conversations and breaking the taboos that we seek to fight. To stay up to date on the show, do follow us on the platform of your choice. We hope you liked this episode and see you in the next one.